At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. After two years on the job, Stephen Corral is stepping down as president of the University of South Florida. He cited the pressures of the job, including the strain it's put on his health. Corral succeeded Judy Genshaft, who led the university for 19 years. Rhea Law, a former USF trustee, has been nominated to serve as interim president until the university finds a permanent leader. On today's show, we look back on Corral's tenure and the challenges facing college presidents around the country. First up, we hear from Professor Tim Boaz, president of the USF Faculty Senate. Well, Tim, I'll start just by asking, uh, what what was your reaction when you heard President Corral would be uh, retiring on such short notice? Uh, well, frankly, I was surprised. I'd had meetings with him recently. I didn't have the sense that uh, any of this was in the making. We were doing business as usual. So, you know, I heard about it right before the announcement was made and was really uh, surprised. I, I knew there were some issues that were had been raised, but nothing that I thought would have uh, resulted in this. What were those issues? So uh, some of the things that uh, I think have been prominently featured in, in some of the news about this, the announcement about the College of Education closing its undergraduate programs, the concerns about the requests for information about development of the USF Forest Preserve. Our group in the Faculty Senate had had ongoing dialogues with the administration about the budget and had raised concerns about the plans they had developed for how to handle that. So, uh, you know, I think those were the big ones. And as you as you say, those are kind of those are, are the issues you would expect, I think, with a, a university of USF size, certainly nothing that would that would rise to, you know, a president uh, announcing an, an early retirement or, or being pushed out. I wonder as well, uh, you mentioned some of the reporting and later on, we're going to talk to Divya Kumar from The Times uh, about the, the story that she had over the weekend, kind of looking back on, on Corral's tenure. I wonder, coming in the wake of, of Judy Genshaft, if maybe... That was a challenge for him because you had a leader who had been with the school for, for so long and had such a presence in the community. Here you have someone who isn't from the community and has to kind of start from square one in terms of building all the different relationships uh, and networks that a, that a college president needs to be successful. Uh, well, certainly, I think that's, you know, sort of a factor here. I mean, if, if you think back to the early years of President Genshaft's tenure, you know, she had some rough spots as well. So, you know, I think it's the sort of thing where it does take time for a leader and their community to kind of get used to each other and, and develop understanding and communication patterns that work well. I, I think here the, the issue really was kind of about communication. And, and since uh, we were new to one another, people were, uh, didn't have that kind of history of of understanding and knowing one another to be able to 
you know, put those events into some context and feel like we can move through them. You know, he didn't have that yet. Looking back on his his two years with the university, what do you think that uh, that President Correll did well? I think at the top of the list is the handling of the pandemic. I, I think USF did extraordinarily well as a university, and certainly he led that effort. I uh, think that uh, the faculty at the university were greatly appreciative of the approach that he took. He identified the scientists at our university that knew what to do in this circumstance and and relied on their wisdom and judgment about how to do that. And it worked quite well. So I, I would give him, you know, the highest marks for that. You know, aside from that, I mean, I think there were there were some very big challenges for him when he got here. We had to finish up our consolidation process and and you know, there are some bumps in the road along the way on that as well. We got through it. We got our accreditation approved and we're operating as one university. We still have some things to work out, but, you know, we had we had a lot to work out when we started that process, which really began uh, before he got here. And so I, I feel like he handled that part of it pretty well. What are the qualities that you will be looking for and hoping that this person will have whoever uh, the next president of USF will be. So I assume you're speaking about the permanent uh, replacement. The, 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 yeah, the permanent successor for, for, for Corral, yes. Well, uh, we hope that we will have a president who has a, a solid track record as a, an administrator in higher education, someone that would understand what's required for us to carry out our academic mission. And that means how to support faculty in their teaching and, and support faculty in their research. We, we have some pretty high ambitions here at USF. And in order for us to continue up that trajectory, it's going to require some additional work to support the faculty in getting that work done. So we want to have somebody who's who's got a track record of this, who has a solid understanding of what's required to carry out the work of a of a high performing university, and someone that I, I think will also have the ability to do more development of our financial circumstances here at the university, and that means uh, philanthropy, fundraising for the university, but also continuing to improve our relationship with the state government uh, in order to improve our standing in terms of the financial support that we receive from that end. And that's really the challenge with any public university president, right? In addition to all the different things that a college president would have to do and all the constituencies that they have to serve, there's also this political role that, that they have to play in terms of dealing with uh, with state government that might have their own uh, their own ideas or their own designs on a, on a university right uh, that's certainly true the president has a number of people uh, for example the provost on his staff that really handle more of the internal sort of workings of the university and and the president is primarily responsible for maintaining those external relationships and uh, that are really critical for us being able to be successful. 
I think that's it for my questions, Tim. Anything else you'd like to say? Anything that I, I didn't get to that, that you think I should have asked you about? Two things, really, I think of. One is, is that, you know, as I've said in some of the other interviews I've had on this, I, you know, I wish President Corral all the best. He's, I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, he was more receptive to faculty input, I think, than is commonly the case uh, for a university uh, presidents and and we on the faculty really appreciated that. I also think that uh, you know we're going to have a year of transition here. We're going to have some challenges. We still have a lot going on. Pandemic's not over yet, and uh, we still have some financial issues to work out here at USF. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing who it is we're going to have as an interim president and having the opportunity to work with that person to get us through this. Tim, thanks so much for uh, for chatting with us this morning. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. That was USF professor Tim Boaz, president of the Faculty Senate. Divya Kumar is an education reporter at the Tampa Bay Times who covered the reaction to Stephen Corral's sudden departure. We talked via Zoom. Starting off, Divya, I know that you spoke with, uh, with President Corral after he made this announcement last week. What did he tell you about why he wanted to retire as USF president after only two years on the job? I think, you know, what he had said was that similar to what he had said in the statement that, you know, the past two years had sort of taken its toll and he'd called the pace of the job extreme and unsustainable and was kind of doing this um, sort of preserve his own health and uh, to spend more time with his family. And that's what he had said Monday. So what did you hear as you reached out to different stakeholders in the USF community, alumni, trustees, major donors, et cetera, about their thoughts on this announcement? I think a lot of people were surprised. I think, you know, there were some who had met with him um, the previous week and didn't seem to see this coming. Um, there were others who said that they weren't surprised just kind of knowing everything that has kind of been going on at the university for the last couple of years and all the challenges he sort of um, has sort of had to tackle between consolidation and the pandemic and university tensions with the budget and state tensions. So I think the reaction was kind of mixed in terms of people who didn't see this coming and then people who, like I said, they weren't as surprised. What about... Um... Thinking back on some of the decisions that uh, Corral made during his time at USF, probably the most controversial was this decision to to close down the undergraduate school of education, which later he reversed course on. Do you think that that might have been a factor at all in in, in his uh, decision to step aside? You know, I don't know. I know um, at that time that that was announced as a proposal that kind of caught a lot of people off guard um, from people within the college to um, stakeholders in the community to members of the board of trustees. And I think, you know, at that time, that was definitely something that created a lot of friction. One of the threads that kind of runs through the story of yours that ran over the weekend is Corral's coming in after Judy Genshaft, who had been at USF for almost two decades and had been kind of this larger in life presence on campus and also in the, in, in the greater Tampa Bay community, and it would be difficult for almost anyone following in her footsteps to kind of take that same leadership mantle. 
how much did you hear about about that about how that challenge that he faced in terms of just coming in in the wake of somebody who had been a, a part of the school for almost 20 years yeah i think that's definitely something i heard a lot of even in asking people what they kind of hope to see in the next president a lot of people uh mentioned judy genshaft and a lot of elements um of her presidency that I think kind of focused on building external relations. Yeah, I think given a presidency of that sort of term length, you know, there are definitely questions of how does someone kind of come in and kind of build that and what time should that take? I think those are definitely sort of qualities that people had been kind of alluding to. Uh, what about uh, Rhea Law, who's been announced as the proposed choice as interim president? What what can you tell us about her? Right. I know she's someone who has a lot of um, ties to the community and ties to USF. She started working at USF when USF had its first president in 1968. And she's someone, she was on the university's founding board of trustees, and she was the first and only female chair. I think she's someone who's been involved uh, with USF and has lots of ties in the community with, um, you know, several economic development, I think Tampa Bay Partnership, the Tampa Bay Economic Development Council. She's chaired several major organizations and kind of has been able to see the university in a lot of different, from a lot of different angles. Um, she was also involved on the search committees for the last two presidential searches. I think in the board of trustee chairman's announcement, I think they really kind of played up her community connections for what will serve her in this role. And do we have a sense of how long she'll serve in that role? I'm not sure what the timeline is on that. I think the board still has to sort of lay out what that process will look like. So um, what in your reporting, what questions are you still seeking answers to when it whether it's about Corral's departure about his role at USF going forward or about the search for, for a new president? That's a good question. I think I'm still trying to you know, find out what this all kind of means and how the university goes forward. But I think also still trying to understand um, a little bit more about how it got to where it is right now. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of this job? Because it's not just about USF. I mean, it is about USF, but it's also this is a very prominent leadership position within the greater Tampa Bay region leading such a large institution. Right. And I think that's one thing that kind of um, in talking to community stakeholders and talking to um, other people about what they're um, what they see the job as. And I think a lot of people do kind of see the president position as um, someone that sort of sets that overall kind of tone to sort of do the USF song and dance, I guess, and kind of sell you know, the university to the external community. Thanks. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was Divya Kumar, education reporter at the Tampa Bay Times. You're listening to Florida Matters. The conversation continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today we're looking at Stephen Corral's brief tenure as president of the University of South Florida. He's retiring next month after just two years on the job. Becoming a college president can be daunting, but there are programs to help new leaders, including the Seminar for Presidential Leadership at Harvard University. Kent Shabatar has helped lead the seminar for three decades. He's also the former president of Guilford College in North Carolina 
and founding partner of MPK&D, a higher education consulting firm. And just for disclosure, I'm a Guilford alum, but I graduated before Shabatar was president. All right, so Ken, I'll start, I'll start with a simple question. What are the qualities that make a good college president? These days, number one is the ability to handle crises, whether it's economic crises or COVID, whether it's uh, a fundraising collapse or whether it's a budget cut from whether you're federal, or federal state or local. Um, it's basically, a, it, it's almost like um, a, a crisis per month or a crisis per day. When I became a college president in 2002, I thought those days were rough, but it's nothing compared to today. Especially now with COVID and, and how that's affected schools. Exactly. And, you know, there's some schools that are demanding vaccinations of everyone, and there's some schools uh, that, that aren't. And uh, that's another split. And, of course, you have some students who are denying the, the uh, need for a vaccine at all, and you've got a lot, a lot of students who have it. So it's a, how do you thread that needle is really tough these days. What about somebody's coming in as a new president, kind of dealing with the shadow of their of their predecessor, and that seems to be one of the dynamics that's played out here at USF with with Stephen Corral coming in the wake of uh, Judy Ginshaft, who had been the president here for almost two decades. If you're a new president of a college, how do you kind of deal with the legacy of a predecessor, whether it's good or bad? Well, number one, you never criticize the past ever because it only redounds on you. You can act differently. You can decide differently, but you don't make it explicit because that's a non-starter. Number two is you don't make a lot of decisions right away. You listen for a while. Nobody ever learned anything by talking. And so the longer the person's been in office, whether it's 20 years or 30 years or whatever, or 10 or five, um, you don't know the place until you've sat down and listened to people talking and you've read the materials. So that's the biggest thing is, and, and then leave it alone. Don't, don't, I mean, if you do anything, praise the person for what the person did correctly. Uh, like, a, like, for example, they were a big fundraiser or they were really good with student and, and the academic program. But that's, that's the number one is listen and don't criticize the past. What are some of the common pitfalls that uh, new college presidents tend to make? maybe in their first year or so? Either they, in terms of their cabinet, their vice presidents, either they protect them totally and don't, don't demand any accountability or they make a clean sweep, almost like they're the federal president cleaning out the cabinet. And that's one big um, mistake they make. They really have to get to know the, the, the staff. When I got to Guilford, um, which was my presidency, I basically gave everybody a year to let's, let's get to know each other. And we did, and some left, and et cetera. The other thing that they make mistake is they get inundated with questions like, what's your vision for our institution? And if they answer that question before a good deal of time is up in the job, they are really asking for trouble because they don't know enough. Unless they're a provost or they've come from inside, um, they don't know enough to talk about a vision. And frankly, it shouldn't be the president's vision anyway, right? It should be the... It should be a vision coming out of the history, a vision coming out of um, various stakeholders on campus and also off campus, particularly the alumni body and maybe even the local business community. And that's really the challenge for any college president, right, is that you have all these different stakeholders who all feel a connection to the school. Certainly students, you want to be centered on what the, the student experience, but 
if you're a research university, that's considerations. If you're a large public university like USF, there's all kinds of political issues and, and, and challenges that you, that you face as well. And if you're public, you also got the even more of a, of a stakeholder called the state government. And that's uh, that can that can be disconcerting. My first job was at Michigan State. So trust me, I know what that's like. Tell me about this this program at Harvard that you've been involved with uh, that, that helps train new college presidents. Uh, Harvard's had programs for higher ed administrators since the mid 70s. In fact, when it started at the Harvard Ed School was in partnership with the Harvard Business School. And when I started teaching in 83 in those programs, most of the faculty were from business, not from education. Slowly but surely over the time period that changed. And in 1990, we realized that um, our programs for beginning and middle-level managers and even senior managers were, were not the same thing as a college president. So in 1990, Harvard started the Harvard Seminar for New Presidents. Uh, Judy McLaughlin's been the chair of the program since 1990. I've been in the program since 1990. We've grown old together. And um, it's, it's limited to about 50 presidents a year. And it's about five days, and they cover everything from uh, the, the life of the personal life of the presidency to the academic program. I cover, for example, finance. We cover strategy. We even, even have a section on the presidential inaugural address, which is uh, very interesting. It's, it's designed to give the new presidents a taste of what the broad spectrum of what a new president's got to deal with. Because if they were a, even a provost or a, or a senior dean, it's nothing like the scope of responsibilities of a, of a president or the need to deal with the outside world, to have an outside looking face. So in five and a half days, we try our best. So do those, do the cohorts of, of people who, who take this seminar, do they kind of stay in touch and maybe lean on each other a little bit as, as they move through their college presidential journeys? In, in my view, it's the best part of the program is the network that's created. And that's that's the same in any exec ed program you, you go to, but the ed school in Harvard particularly. It, we also keep in touch with faculty. I, I tell the students, you've already paid enough in Harvard tuition. Here's my uh, here, here's my email address. If you have a question, let me know. It helps me to learn more about higher ed too. So it's a win win. Are we going to see a uh, an influx of of retirements of college presidents in the next few years? Because if you look at the you look at the profile of it, it, it like a lot of institutions in America, higher ed administration, it's mostly white and male. A lot you have a lot of baby boomers, and they're reaching retirement age. So are, are we going to see a lot of turnover in in, in college administrators in, in in the next few years? We've we've already seen a lot of a lot of the turnover. The prediction back in the '90s was in the 21st century we'd see probably I'm not exactly a third, but close to a third in each decade going forward. It's not quite quite been that bad. But remember, I'm a baby boomer, and uh, and and so I'm the leading edge of the retirees. I retired in 2014. You know, people behind me are doing the same thing. The average college president serves around, depending on public or private, it's around six or seven years. And it used to be longer. And the reason is the pressures are so enormous these days. A lot of presidents realize that even if they go to 20 seminars, that actually doing the job is a lot tougher than they might have envisioned when they applied for it. What about the work to make the administration and the leadership of colleges look more like America itself? Because like a, a lot of institutions, it's overwhelmingly white and male. What, what kind of progress has been made in, in 
making the leadership of colleges look more like the country itself? Progress has been slow. We've been a lot more successful in diversifying the student bodies than we have the administrators because it's a seniority system in some respects. You have to have the experience. You have to have the connections. And there are increasing numbers of minorities in all levels from presidents to, to junior administrators. Uh, for example, my, my dean was a former faculty member, an African-American. Um, she was the dean all 12 years I was there. And that was really good for me to see another perspective. Um, we, we've, uh, we hired women. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you took a picture of even my cabinet, it was, very, it was still very white and very male. And we were very active in trying to recruit. We were partially successful though. I mean, it was a lot different than it was in 2002. But we, we didn't do, we didn't go all the way. And we tried. Well, Ken, I think that's it for my questions. Anything else you want to say? Anything I didn't ask you about that you, you think I should have? Well, I mean, one, one thing is what, what does a college president do? I mean, when they walk away after two years or 20 years or 27 years, the major responsibility of a college president these days, whether it's public or private, is raising money. And it used to be only private. And now the publics are getting into fundraising in a big way, which is something that I don't like because I was in North Carolina. And there are a few fairly popular public schools in North Carolina with some fairly wealthy alums that were competing with us for money where they didn't in the past. So um, both public and private fundraising is, I think, the number one thing. Strategy is number two. In a turbulent environment, you can't keep the hand on the tiller going the same direction and expect, uh, ex expect to succeed. So strategy, the ability to look around the corner. Uh, number three is picking good people, as, you, as, your, as your question just talked about, from cabinet to uh, other kinds of administrators, directors, et cetera. Frankly, decision-making is, is, is another one. Too many presidents tried to hide the ball. They're not transparent. They think, um, oh, if people find out about this, it'll be bad for us. And I think there's a lot more damage when you try to keep it secret. Number one, it never stays secret, my God. And number two, when they find out about it, it's usually distorted. It also deals with a lot of anxiety. People thinking are thinking something's going on behind the doors. It's usually worse than what's actually happening. And when I'm teaching, I always use a quote from Moliere that doubts are more cruel than the worst of truths. And that's, that's why I, uh, I like transparency. And I've never, I've never been burned. And it wasn't even my idea. My, my boss at Bowdoin, when I left Harvard, he was the one that talked to me about transparency and open office hours, et cetera. I can't even claim it was my idea, but I'll steal anybody's ideas with attribution if they're good. And that was one of them. Well, let me let me ask you this in closing. Who wants to be a college president? Because I mean, going through all these different challenges and all the stakeholders and, and the political hurdles, if you're in a public institution, who, in your experience, wants to seek a job like this? Well, remember, it's the top of the heap as far as the career is concerned in higher ed. Some would say, number one. Number two is people like challenges. You know, they like to think that they can surmount whether it's a uh, public relations or whether it's financial these days or whether it's COVID that they can surmount it. And to be blunt, they underestimate the difficulty. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I let, when I became a former chief financial officer and became a college president was you're no longer a CFO, Kent. You can't get involved in depth in, in the financials. Step back. Your job as a college president is, is to be interested in everything 
but only to a certain level. And I found that to be very useful advice. Well, Kent, we appreciate you sharing your, uh, your insight and your experience with us today. We appreciate it. No, no problem. Kent Shabatar is the former president of Guilford College in North Carolina and a founding partner of MPK&D, a higher education consulting firm. That's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening. I hope you can join us again next week.